Welcome to Corporate Caffeine. I'm Dacia Coffey. As a chief marketing officer, speaker, author, copywriter, and three-time entrepreneur, I've learned a thing or two about influence and impact in the business world. So I wanna share with you what I've learned about how to be heard, be seen, and be successful, and introduce you to the people I've met along the way who learned how to unlock their potential. Welcome to Corporate Caffeine. Today, we are being joined by Nicole Rush. She is the principal at Social Catalytics, and she's a strategist for companies seeking transformation. Now, it might be towards a bold vision of the future, or it might be a practical evolution of what a company is supposed to be in this changing world. But Nicole brings a major passion for social impact as her through line across all of her work. I think you're going to really enjoy the interesting things that she has to say about business and where the future of business is going. Let's jump in. Nicole, I'm so excited to have you on Corporate Caffeine today. Thank you so much for joining us. Sure. I'm glad to be here. So how's today going for you? Uh, pretty well. Yeah. You, and you've got your ca- you've got your caffeine, yes. so you're be- definitely themed in hand. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, yeah. why don't you give everybody a little bit of insight into your background, kind of who are you, so that they have an idea of why we did invite you on okay. here. Sure, sure. Well, yes, I have an interesting background that's a mix of both nonprofit and for-profit. Yeah. So I spent about a decade doing you know revenue leadership for a nonprofit agency that also included a social enterprise um, for an organization that grew from about $9 million annual revenue to $45 million. So exciting. So that kind of gave me the bug, yes. <laughs> the growth bug. <laughs> um, so then I entered a role where I was interfacing with leaders across the nation, and I started to realize how difficult and a lot of the challenges um, that nonprofit leaders and other leaders faced. Yes. So through that, you know, it just... I decided to take the leap, you know, to, uh, I did an MBA through the Kellogg School of Management and then started my own consulting firm to really just help leaders with that growth phase that they want to enter. Yeah. So it's very I, fun and exciting work. It is fun. So do you primarily focus on nonprofit? Um, I, you and I have worked a little bit together on for-profit, but uh-huh. like, tell me what the balance looks like. Who, who, you know, who are you helping nowadays? Right. Uh, I would say we help anybody who's relatively small in that in in a phase where they want to grow so uh historically because of my background of fundraising it has been predominantly nonprofits. but since going through the program at, at kellogg i've taken on more small businesses and it's very interesting how much they have in common because really the only difference is that the nonprofits are tax exempt but they still have a lot of the same uh, revenue producing talent. That, that was going to be one of my questions is what are the big differences and how they approach them differently in marketing? Um, but you're saying they're pretty much aligned. In the yeah, they same- have a lot more in common than you might think. So I think without getting into too much detail, right. the challenges that nonprofits face is that they have a two-sided market. So they have donors that make contributions, mm. but then they also need to make sure that they're aligned with the needs and frustrations and pain points of the constituents that they're serving. So they have right. to think in two ways. Right. If you think about a hospital, it's the same kind of way, right? You know, they have the insurance companies who actually pay the checks and then the patients who come to the hospital. Uh, but a lot of the yeah. marketing principles really cross over. Yeah. Um, but two. crossover in regards to business to business though, right? Not so much business to consumer alignment, or do you think it's both? 
I think the business to consumer approach really comes when they are looking at the constituents that they're serving, Good right? Point. Yeah. So <clears throat> one of my clients works in a community and they're focused on early childhood education and they have to think about not just the the reason why a Nobel Prize laureate says that early education makes sense. They need to think about why does that parent, Yes. Uh, why would it matter to them? You know, if it's not something that they really are aware is a, a kind of a need or something that will be meaningful to them later. So it's got its own unique challenges. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I work with nonprofits, but almost always on the volunteer side, right? Okay, you know, yeah. like sitting on boards and that uh-huh. kind of thing. But I tell you what, some of the most complex scenarios that I've ever been a part of have been on the nonprofit mm. because of what you're talking about. I mean, there was this one time we're doing a whiteboard and I'm leading a board initiative to uh-huh. help everybody understand the strategic plan, how we organize it. Uh-huh. 12 buyer personas. That is unheard of compared uh, to the normal work I do, which mm-hmm. is on average three to four. Okay. 12 legitimate ones that needed to be juggled and taken care of and had to have individual plans and strategies. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, wow, <laughs> <laughs> this is not for the faint of heart. Yes. And with um, m- much of the time, it's very constrained in terms of the resource allocation that's put towards it as well. So that makes it challenging too. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, you kind of hit on it, but really there's this heartbeat, if you will, of social impact that has run mm-hmm. throughout your career. So, yes, I mean, is that who you are? Is that how you see the world? Is it serendipity, you know, where that's just where you've been led Mm -hmm. and where your strengths came out? I mean, like, Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about that. Sure. Well, I think, you know, I grew up, you know, as a person of faith all throughout my uh, childhood. So I think that does really inform how I see the world. So, uh, you know, I, I know it's kind of complicated in this day and age to talk about faith and business, but I, you're on the right podcast, though. <laughs> okay, yeah. not I don't know if you here. know us yet or researched us, but we're, we're not shy about that. No, um, okay, okay, that's cool. It is yeah. cool. I know. Yeah. yeah. So I guess you know the way I see people is you know as a creation of God that both has innate dignity and worth, as well as like these this kind of innate beauty and strength that's just waiting to be untapped and unlocked, right? So, you know, because I see people that way innately, I feel like that just transfers to the way that I see opportunities and also, um, you know, engage with people too, right? So some of my coaching clients, you know, it makes a big difference if you, the way you're oriented towards them is you have something kind of specially crafted inside of you that's just waiting to be unleashed. Um, I think that makes a a big difference as opposed to being kind of deficit focused uh, or like just performance metric focused or something along those lines. So so I would say that kind of is woven throughout a lot of just the projects and and the way that I engage with clients. It's like having a second set of eyes. Oh, yeah. Well, they're a huge set of eyes if you look at it that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and it's so cool because like you said, you're not focusing on the deficit, but instead it's almost like you're always aware there's treasure mm-hmm. and you just get to polish those diamonds right. and uncover them and go, okay, what do we do with this versus where do we get the resources? How do we figure this out? I right. love that. Right, right. It's much more optimistic point of view than <laughs> maybe yeah. the, you know, the status quo is. 
Yeah, yeah. So, okay, tell us more, you know, especially our audience about your current business, Social Catalytics. So mm-hmm. tell like, you know, where did that get founded? And I'm definitely going to reverse engineer this back to your MBA, but because okay. I have so many curious curiosity <laughs> questions about that. But sure. um, tell us a little bit about your current business. Yeah, sure. So I started Social Catalytics, I guess it's a bit over three years ago now when I decided to, to take the leap I told you about before. And really what we focus on are helping organizations or companies to take a dream that they have of growth and just bring that to reality. So, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, when you have an organization, it's helpful for me to think about it as a kind of like an ecosystem. Yeah. So you can have the most excellent landscape architecture in the world. You can have really rich, fertile soil. You can have you know, a finely maintained sprinkler system. But if any one of those kind of critical elements is off kilter, it's going to impact the whole ecosystem. Right. So that's how I like to think about organizations, especially ones that are oriented towards growth is it's, it's a really kind of finely tuned um, situation that you have to think broadly about and approach broadly um, and just make sure you're kind of properly stewarding all of those uh, pieces and making sure that they they fit and they melt together. Because something that works really well in like an established uh, company that has their own kind of competitive advantage in place, that's going to may not be the right practice for an organization that's really entrepreneurial in nature. So yes. we help organizations to kind of, kind of sort through what is the status of their ecosystem and then, you know, build the practices or the strategy that's needed for their company to turn the corner and really take off. Hmm. You know, it's so interesting, like some of the language that you're using, you know, I mean, like, for instance, grabbing onto the word dream, like, oh, what a yummy word, right? (laughs) And especially for the entrepreneurial heart. I mean, truly, Mm. that's where, you know, what everything orients around, especially Mm. for the first couple years or at any pivot point. Right. But a dream unfulfilled or a dream that feels so far in the future. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I mean, there's some frustration that accompanies that. Do you see that with your clients? Uh, Yes. And I think a lot of times it has to do with either pressure that they put on themselves or Mm. that their board is putting on them um, or even maybe just internally. I I know nothing about (laughs) (laughs) in my own journey. But I think it really helps to have an external set of eyes that's sort of agnostic to either the history or any of those factors to really kind of help objectively think through like what's going on here and um, even a fresh take. You know, I think it's really normal for any of us in many situations to bring our own set of kind of biases or lens to the situation. And, you know, it just helps sometimes to have a, a different perspective to, you know, get around that. Clarity is very mm-hmm. difficult to find on your own, inside of your own noise, yeah. inside of your own head. Yeah. Right. And so hundred percent, especially if someone is familiar with this kind of ecosystem, as you put it, mm-hmm. you know, where you kind of know, okay, I know what to expect. I understand this entrepreneurial personality and these types of cultures. Right. I mean, incredibly valuable. Mm-hmm. So cool. Okay. Yeah. So when you first engage with someone, you know, where do you start? I mean, how do you go about wrapping your arms around a dream, right? But in a practical way that needs to result in revenue. I mean, you even talked about right. being a revenue leader. Totally love that phrase. Uh-huh. I think I'm stealing that in the future. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a revenue leader. <laughs> yes, please. There's so much different than um, people advertising 
oh, I, it's revenue growth. That's what I focus on. And so many people use that term on their profile mm, or yeah. what they do. And we get the blast emails all the time. We grow revenue by a 10,000%. Like, <laughs> well, if that were the case on the clients we have, we wouldn't have to worry about a thing, you know. <laughs> anyway. I know. Yeah, so yeah. where do you start? Well, I like to start with just where are they at mentally and what is their vision or what is their dream? So I think some, some leaders, they really, they can tell that they have something or they feel stuck, but not many people actually ever ask them, what is your dream? Where do you want to go? Like if you were to close your eyes five, 10 years from now, what would you want your company to look like or your organization to look like? So that gives me a really good sense of, you know, where their mind is at. Also, it gives me kind of a touchstone to connect where they want to go later on in the process. Yeah. You know? Um, So I I like to start there. And then, of course, where are they feeling it? They've got some kind of reason why they called or, (laughs) you know, they're... They sometimes have a gut sense of something is off in this area, but they can't quite put their finger on it. So kind of start in those two places. Yeah. Go ahead. You know, the importance of conveying that message to their team as well is huge. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of owners, especially small business owners we run across, will have that vision. And they and they look at they know what that goal is inside of their head, uh-huh. but for their whole team to be on board and put that on you know put the pen to the paper uh-huh. and saying hey here's how we're going to execute that vision or goal is a whole different thing and you yeah. cannot do that by yourself usually mm-hmm. unless that's what you're a professional at and usually they're not. I think that's yeah. such a good point because also there's also often two levels of vision right so the success vision, right? Maybe that's revenue or reach, you know, that kind of thing. But then you have that vision of impact, you know, coming back Mm -hmm. to social impact, because, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, speaking for myself and a lot of other entrepreneurs that I know, Mm -hmm. it's more than just ticking off the zeros and, you know, moving forward. I mean, Mm -hmm. the stuff that gets very exciting Mm -hmm. is about changing the world, like making a dent in the universe somewhere based on your point of view. Right. And so, Mm -hmm. I mean, Kyle, you bring up such a great point about how to get your team to align around either one, let alone both of them, you know, and then not sound like just a jumbled hot mess trying to communicate that to the people that are going to make it happen. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think in my experience, the, the involvement of the team in kind of Maybe not creating that vision on the front end, but helping it to be clear and clarify it can really help uh, the team understand, you know, where it is we're headed, right? So kind of to bring it from that 30,000 foot level down to something that's a little more tangible that they can wrap their minds around. Yeah. Um, that seems to help a lot of times for for teams is to break it down to, <laughs> you know, from from 10 years from now, where do I want to be kind of back it out to like this year? What are our top goals? Uh, What does that mean for me this quarter? What does that mean for me this week? You know, which takes, you know, precious time away from all of your day-to-day business activities to do. Yes. Um, But I found- It's not to-do list type of stuff. Right. Yeah. It's not returning those sales calls. It's not creating that board report or whatever it is. Um, But in my experience, if you have the team with crystal clarity about what it's going to take to get there and you're kind of keeping everything aligned and the communication lines opened then 
you know, you have your greatest asset is your talent, right? Your most expensive asset usually. Yes. And they're oriented towards the right target where you're all rowing in the same direction and you can actually feel like you're making some progress and then you get some momentum and it's really exciting, you know, to be in that kind of situation. I've always told her in sales, it's easy to set those benchmarks and milestones because it's a number it's right. in black and it's very white. tangible yeah yes and in marketing or someone's vision or whatever it may be mm-hmm. it's just out there and to bring that together takes a special person or mastery of your own that just um you know is a whole nother thing and to get everybody on board like i brought up before yeah well and i love where this is going because it's that question of how do we know we're making progress you know i mean your Mm -hmm. word because kyle's right yes you know you're making progress to revenue but a perfect example is is acceleration of revenue Mm-hmm. does not just happen because you take one's foot in front of the other. It's because right. you planted some long-term seeds right. in the ecosystem mm-hmm. that all of a sudden, once they start growing, do really start accelerating. So mm-hmm. it's like balancing, okay, what are we doing day-to-day, to-do list, the things that we have to hit, the numbers we have to hit to stay in business. Right. But then are we planting seeds that right. are going to create, you know, I mean, that mythical hockey stick, you right. know, like, <laughs> let's go. It's all really coming together. But right. that, that does not happen on accident. So how do you know you're putting the things in place that are going to start really speeding that engine up? Right, right. Well, that's a big question. I don't know. I have all the answers to that. But (laughs) I I do think a lot of it lands in, for me, two places. So one is how the leader leads the organization and kind of the the posture that they take and the, the way that they set the tone in the culture and then it's also practices that are sort of day-to-day kinds of things yeah. that are, t- to some extent, they're an outflow of what that is. But, you know, I think some of the places that I've worked before, you know, there's a level of either openness to risk right. and, um, you know, some acceptance of the fact that there's going to be, you know, for every success, we're going to have three or four failures. Right. You know, and that there's being a ratio. an accepted thing. Yes. Um, and I think a lot of that does start with your leadership team. Yeah. And how they respond to that. Because, you know, you you cast signals. You know, even if you don't, like, openly shut it down. If you, you know, if if you're giving the the nonverbal signals that that is not a cool thing to happen here, um, then you know, you're going to, to some extent, shut down the, the creativity and the innovation of your teams, you know? hundred percent. So, okay. So give me some examples, you know, cause I love the idea of this outflow, you know, of that leader's habits that then mm-hmm. become, you know, and if I'm putting words in your mouth, forgive me and, ch- you know, redirect, but almost become cultural habits or maybe mm-hmm. organizational strengths that people all move into. So like, what right. are some examples? Well, the way I think about it is very kind of human centered. So if you, let's say I'm, you know, a top leader, a C-suite leader. Um, if I expect my team members to come to the table with all the answers and they make the presentation and they just really get shot down because they don't have one, you know, answer to one question, then I just think that sets, you know, an expectation that, you know, you won't maybe see in any kind of tangible way throughout the organization, but it's definitely there. So um, if you are able to handle situations with your team members in a way that feels like humility, that feels like coaching, that feels like strength focused and strength building, yeah. 
You know, I, those are very um, subtle things, but I think they do make a huge difference, especially when you're at that C-suite level and, you know, you're so focused on juggling all the different priorities or all the different pressures that your teammates maybe don't understand, you know, the teams that report to you. Um, so it's easy to kind of overlook those things and not pay a lot of attention to those things. but. Yeah. I, I think at the end of the day, they have a cascading and a more almost like a ripple effect, you know, the further you go down into an organization. 100%. You know, it's interesting. I had this aha moment not too long ago around humility. You know, you mm. were mentioning that. And that humility um, or, you know, its opposite is closely tied, tied or not tied to confidence, the confidence mm. of the leader. Mm-hmm. Because you yeah. cannot That's a good have point. a humble posture mm-hmm. where you are capable of authentically saying, I'm sorry. Yes. um, Or Mm -hmm. saying, I don't know how we're going to get their team, but I bet you guys do. So I'd like to hear your ideas because they might be better than mine. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and whether that's explicitly or just implied, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, you know, I mean, it's interesting that humility does not flow from a posture of fear in control. It actually is the opposite. So when you're talking Uh about cascading down Mm -hmm. through the organization, I mean, that is very, very different if you're trying to, you know, steer a ship from a posture of confidence and clear direction, vision versus fear. Like, I'm so scared that everything has to go right. And if Mm -hmm. we have any mistakes, the ship ship will sink and people will pick up on that and start also acting in Mm -hmm. a way that is protection, you know, and CYA, right. you know, yes, exactly. you know, where it's a mirror of mm-hmm. your lack of confidence or a mirror of your own confidence, right. because then people can yes. embody that and move forward confidently, right. even learning from their failures, mm-hmm. win or learn versus fail and, you know, right. get in trouble. Grow or die. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, yes. exactly. <laughs> yeah, what's, and what's ironic to me about that is that <clears> – <throat> It's, it feels so kind of mushy, you know, right? <laughs> like it doesn't Soft. have a direct impact on anything right. sales or revenue related. But to me, it does, because um, if everything from like, let's just say you have a product development team and, um, you know, you want them to come up with, I don't know, five new product ideas. Well, you know, if they don't have the humility to really listen to your customers, or if, you know, they, they feel like they can just whiteboard it out or look at some report, you know, with data on it, uh, you know, then a lot of times they're not going to come up with the the strongest product offering that really resonates in a kind of substantial or meaningful way with those customers, you know? So I think you see it really across the board. Yeah. And what's ironic to me also about it is that, you know, in this age that we're in where the pace of knowledge is so fast, you know, it doubles and, you know, quicker than at any other time in history. Um, we, we seem to have this expectation of ourselves that we should be keeping up with everything. But one of the insights that I've come across over the last few years, partially because of my experience at Kellogg, is that if you, want, if you see yourself as the primary vehicle for solving all of those problems, you're actually going to make yourself fall further behind. Mm. Um, Because the way that leaders solve problems today is through having a diverse set of relationships 
that are almost like the gatekeepers to the knowledge that you do need. Because it's physically impossible to stay yeah. up with everything Absolutely. you need. Like think about data science or oh my you know, all these gosh, really kind yes. of technical developments, artificial that intelligence. You can't ignore it anymore. Right. Yes. Right. You know, so you have to you have to be humble enough to realize your own limitations, your strengths that you bring to the table, but you have to be humble enough to to realize that you or even just your team do not literally do not have what it takes to really come up with really salient solutions in the marketplace today by yourself. I mean, this is so you know? cool because this actually for me really hits at home too on your love of people and mm. knowing that they've got special gifts. So mm. for instance, if as a leader, you're looking for gateways mm-hmm. to different knowledge, then you, you know, I mean, some are obvious, right? My gateway to financial information is through my CFO. Fine. Uh-huh. You know, or same thing, you know, like technology mm-hmm. gateways, you know, people that really own and get excited by right. that. But it could be also different elements of how you deliver or go to market. I mean, right. you know, from the organization, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and scaling of your operations to the marketing aspect and your mm-hmm. business development, but looking for people that really flourish in those areas. That's so great. Cool. Right. Yeah. It, there's countless numbers of ways that it's, yeah, it's beyond just kind of function. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's more about just, if you think about any product or service that's developed, it relies on, you know, a bunch of different kind of pieces of insight and yeah. anywhere that those yeah. come from. I love that. You know. Okay, so what's some of your favorite work that you've been a part of recently or, you know, like last couple of years? I, okay. I want to go back to the first five minutes in the childhood development, especially with the last year of everything that's gone on. And I don't mm-hmm. know what you were working on or how in-depth it goes, but you can sense the future and the change and how kids mm-hmm. not learn but how they're going, what tools they're going to use to learn from. Mm. And with, you know, I'm not bad math in public schools or anything. My own kids are in public schools, Mm -hmm. but you see that transition definitely can happen to where they don't have to use that alternative anymore with online learning services and so forth. Now, I don't know Mm. what company you're working for or or what knowledge you can bring to this, Mm. but what, what do you see, you know, or what do you, what are you working on? Um, well, one of my clients is focused on improving the early childhood development mm-hmm. of a whole area in Dallas. And <clears throat> the way that they're approaching the problem is really a challenging one. Right. It's, it really leverages this idea that we talked about a minute ago with, you know, a diversity of stakeholders, a diversity of voices, and, you know, bringing those groups together to identify you know, what are the the key drivers or the factors that are not in place for this whole neighborhood or this whole system Mm -hmm. to operate optimally, you know? Um, That is complicated. It's a very long-term oriented uh, approach to the solution, but it excites me because it's really focused on improving like the ecosystem we talked about before so that, you know, those families or those kids, they're really... Uh, in an environment and in a set of, you know, structures and resources and all of that, that allows them to really take advantage of the opportunity to thrive as opposed to feeling like some of, you know, everything in those processes, like in the public school onboarding process, or, you know, even, you know, things like transportation or healthcare. Um, If those things are set up to be so difficult to access, then it just makes 
you know, people yeah. who are already starting from a place of uh, maybe fewer uh, assets, financially speaking, um, you know, we're not as a society doing a great job with ensuring that those things are really yeah. equitable. Um, so I, I get excited about their yeah, work. Yeah, for sure. Of I that. mean, um, the little bit that I've read on it, it just seems like if you're at a disadvantage right now and you were for, forced to go online, which most students were, it's like they're getting left farther behind the mm-hmm. curb. And it's like, yeah. all right, so wh- how can we fill these gaps and these voids? Because that's for a long run, that's not sustainable. It's not going to work as a better of a whole, mm-hmm. you know, as far as the. And everybody learns differently. Yeah. That's so tricky. And everyone does. People need the personal interaction sometimes to get through the problems, to have them explain to them on a different level rather than just um, one particular tool that, you know, announces that to them over a a screen. They only have so many clicks that they can pick from, you know, to be able to learn that certain subject. And it's like, oh, that's where a teacher is very important. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Well, and sometimes Mm -hmm. the technology, because we have a client who's in learning and talent. And so these lessons, you know, I mean, an ecosystem of learning even apply Mm -hmm. in the adult world as well. You know, I mean, there's this very cool idea that I just am learning about, you know, any of our learning and talent people out there will laugh because it's not a new idea, new to me. Uh But, you know, talking about learning in um, the flow of work Mm. and it's about can you provide solutions, learning solutions in two clicks or less than Okay. You know, a very short amount of time. They have a specific definition of that. Uh-huh. But it's fascinating because, you know, I mean, they they use examples of like airline pilots. Now, they can't go back and doing a whole training module. Right. Like you need them to have, you know, solutions. Same thing on a manufacturing floor. Mm-hmm. People where the mm-hmm. work cannot stop. Right. Just because you have one specific question that you don't recall from training. Right. So, I mean, my gosh, it's magnified for kids, but it never really goes away, especially when you're talking wow. about a world where we cannot afford to get stagnant mentally and Mm -hmm. not try to keep pace with the fact that things are changing and learning and building ecosystems where we can fortify each other's learning and knowledge, Mm -hmm. you know, because I mean, I love to read, but no, never going to happen that I'm going to be like amazing at data science or Uh early childhood education, you know, or, um, Gosh, the gazillions and zillions of things I am not an expert. Uh-huh. I can only use yeah. it from a personal experience, but the amount of knowledge I've had to absorb in the last two years versus the last 10 has been astronomical going on board with her full time. Uh-huh. I'm just like, oh my gosh, what What am I doing at my age? And then I realized, well, wait a <laughs> Completely minute, you're not growing if life. you're not learning. And <laughs> right. This, mm-hmm. you, and you just see it in um, people's careers and jobs different than it was 20 years ago it's like they uh-huh. would get a position in operations management or whatever it may be and it's like all right i can be on cruise control now i know this subject really well mm-hmm. well now it's to the point where if you don't know the next best technology to add to what you already know you're left behind in five mm-hmm. years your job's obsolete you know you have to be learning consistently until 
you know, some people never retire up here, but you know, until you're done with what you're going to do at that profession, Mm -hmm. you've got to stay on the game. Can you even think how many people say for those that are in their twenties and thirties, how many times their careers and their existing professions will literally be gone Mm -hmm. a couple times over by the time they retire? Right. It used to be seven different career. This was how many years ago? Career changes. I would argue that some people's positions will be obliterated. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like, um, this may or may not be true, but it was interesting. I had a conversation yesterday mm-hmm. with a gentleman and he was telling his son, you know, in that father with any way, and his son is in his twenties and his career and he's in customer service for a large technology company. Uh-huh. And the dad is saying, son, you need to broaden your horizons because uh-huh. those bots are going to replace you right. soon. And there is going to be no such thing as human customer service in your industry. Uh-huh. And the son is like, no, no. And who knows which one of them is right. Uh-huh. But there is a very good chance that certain roles right. in certain industries will simply be eliminated. Yeah. And you've I got think- to stay on top of a willingness to learn. Right. I look at learning being kind of um, like a financial prof- profile now, uh, portfolio. Where it's like you better be diverse in it on your long term game. Oh, I like because if not, yeah, there's going to be a certain point that's not going to be the same ten years. Now this is a very cool idea. Mm -hmm. Why have why am I only just the first time hearing about this? this. (laughs) It's different. It's different when we're on the patio. It's really date night for you guys. Beverage somewhere. (laughs) We are all about weird (laughs) conversations. I'm like, yeah, well, most of them aren't recorded. Thank God. Oh my gosh! If we ever get brave enough to have a podcast with cocktails, it would have to be called. Everybody. <laughs> Caffeine doesn't. Okay, so but talking yeah. about learning, okay, your MBA did not happen straight out of college. And no. it's funny because mm-hmm. when I was back in school, I graduated college in 98. And me too. There was, what? Oh my gosh, you're We're, way younger than me. So, but there was this idea. I don't know if you were given this advice, but I love to learn. I'm such a nerd. Uh-huh. But many of my professors were like, no, you do not get your MBA straight out of your undergrad. Yes, I heard You know, same. you go back. You know, but uh-huh. that's not, there's a lot of people that have just blown that up and been like, nope, not ready to graduate. I mm-hmm. love to learn. I'm staying in my MBA. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, so tell me, number one, what was it like to go back? Why mm-hmm. did you go back, you know, and uh-huh. then we'll get into There similar. are certain fields, though, I think that that applies to. Oh, yeah. Um, some have to. Science. Um, Finance. It, yeah, uh, no, I mean. Anything like that. Agreed. But, agreed. That's more yeah. kind of technical yeah. in nature. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yes. Well, the program that I participated in was an executive MBA program, which, you know, they're they're all over the place now. But what I liked about it is that everybody in my cohort was an experienced leader. Yeah. You know, they already had at least a decade or so of management or leadership experience. So I felt confident that I would get a lot of value from just being in classes with people who had, you know, Learned a lot. You just threw the school of hard knocks, did right? Did that turn out to be true? It was amazing. Yes. Nice. Actually, I, I knew that at this point, you know, if I wanted to really grow consulting, I needed to have just another level of confidence with my the knowledge base. Basically, I felt like I had some, you know, strong intuition yes. and experience to draw off of. But I, I found myself a lot of times wondering, like second guessing myself, essentially, are my is this just my intuition and my experience or is this really something that's sort of more broadly true, like frameworks and things of that nature that kind of help ground you in 
you know, just yeah. some confidence that so you're not confirmation that I do know it. A lot of times, yes. And and then, then you get into things like finance, which I had no background in. Oh, <laughs> and it was a steep learning curve. To, okay. You were forced to learn that part of it. But, you know, yeah. now I, I really see the value in understanding all of that. It's almost like now I can speak the mm-hmm. language of business yep. and understand 100%. how it all fits together. That is yeah. one of my beefs with marketing at large. Like I do some speaking about marketing ROI, and it's that marketers don't speak the language of business Mm. and it's very dangerous for marketers careers Mm. it's very dangerous for businesses Mm. to not be able to have a language bridge Uh into what success as defined by a marketer means as a success defined by the total business so Mm. i love like the you know that you're talking about that because i'm like and i promise i will not preach right now i know he's got his (laughs) eyebrows out of like well okay sister not today (laughs) no if you're in a room of creatives and you and they're all excited. You can see the glow in their eyes. Just bring up budget. Oh, and it's like whoa, 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 whoa. Yes. hold on, huh? You can't do it. You know that's why. Uh, <laughs> so true. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's what strategists and CMOs are. For. Yeah, that's when you're like, all right, I'm going to put a number to this um, mind of yours. Oh, yeah, no, right. oh, no, don't do that. Then it's more pressure. I know, yeah. totally. No offense to any creatives out there. But. No, we totally love you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's where we need to go. Get us there. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. So what was your big, I I mean, I know it can't be drilled down to one, but if Mm -hmm. you were kind of summarizing like what your MBA gave you, you know, I mean, you already mentioned confidence, but Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, just, was it fun? Was it this, how did it change things for you? Or just talk to us a little bit about, you know, what, what happened through it all? Mm -hmm. Well, the program I participated in was a little different. Um, It was focused on more broadly developing leaders and large, largely based on this topic I mentioned earlier about like the the power of your network and how important it is for leaders in this age, they intentionally designed the program at Kellogg to really equip you for that. So everybody there, um, about half of the people end up flying in when I started. <laughs> um, it's different now. Um, but anyway, you spend a lot of time together because yeah. you you all stay in the kind of Kellogg Hotel there. Yeah, so, um, cool. so you really get to know people. And, uh, you know, you, you leave with friends. It's not yes. just people you sat in class mm-hmm. with. So I think through that experience, um, you know, obviously I got to know a lot more about the different key areas of business. Like I already had a pretty good foundation with marketing, but, you know, got to confirm that and, you know, be exposed to some, you know, additional strategies and ways of thinking about it. Um, but I think the actually the broader, most meaningful, significant piece of it was leaving with this cohort of 70 people that now today, if I wanted to start a new company, like I'm doing some product development work right now, um, I don't need to really second guess the fact that I I can make that happen, right? right? I know people um, who I can turn to to ask the questions that would have maybe held me back in the past, you know? So let's just say, you know, I've got two thirds of it. I feel like I have a pretty good handle on, but I just don't know how to like source this thing or like build out the operations piece because that's just not my area of experience. Well, now today I know, first of all, enough about operations to speak broadly in that language and how to find the people that can help make it happen, you know? So, so I think it's generally both of those things. It's, it's 
understanding the fundamentals of all of those key pieces of that makes a business really, you know, be able to be viable yeah. as well as the confidence personally, but also the confidence in the ability to take a business from here to where you want it to go, yes. you know, yeah. through yeah. that, through that network. And that's not really a Kellogg thing. It's really just a personal relationship right. building thing, you know, it just happens to have happened in that context. hundred percent. As much as things change, you know, the more they stay the same when it comes to the bonds of humanity mm-hmm. and how business and how real problem solving, real innovation right. happens, uh-huh. doesn't happen like locked in a tiny little closet, right. you know, yeah. by yourself. It doesn't. Uh, I mean, the mm-hmm. world is built because of connection. So I love that. Mm-hmm. That's so fun. You know, we had the Fratos on not long ago mm-hmm. and um, that conversation was brought up about it's, it's, when you live and learn, it's easier to learn off someone other someone else's mistakes, <laughs> and to be you know mentor. We were talking about mentorship, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, of the how crucial it is to have not only one mentor, but people you can call on mm-hmm. and just be like, all right, they know it. It's it's difficult. Mm-hmm. How many times do you make the decision? And, and you do have to have failures to grow in life and to learn in life but to minimize those failures to know you can count on something is a whole nother a whole nother thing and um 100%. you know in, in a business i owned before it was like i'd always just like ah, i keep it i know my way i know this will work or whatever mm-hmm. and i'm like P- picking up the phone would have been a lot easier right you know <laughs> Why do I keep going through this? You know, same. And now we we really do. It's not just delegating. It's Mm -hmm. just having the confidence to call on that person and to say I don't know. Right. I used to lament, literally say, why didn't I ever have a mentor? You know, Mm. like, and, you know, and I Mm -hmm. used to be so sad about the fact I'd hear these stories about people that Mm. were just loved up, you Mm -hmm. know, in their corporate environment through these amazing leaders. And I used Mm -hmm. to wonder, well, why didn't that show up in my life? Mm. Well, I'm pretty sure it's because I wouldn't let it. (laughs) It takes a lot of trust also. Exactly. And when you're young, you don't want to always trust I was you know, so like, scared. Oh, I don't of, know that person. Uh, well, look at their track record. Look at, you know, and do some being research. being scared that people would judge me, right? You mm-hmm. know, I mean, that fraud syndrome mm-hmm. of. Oh, imposter syndrome? Uh, yes, yes, exactly. Thank uh-huh. you. Like, of am I good enough uh-huh. or I'm not good enough and people are going right. to figure it out? So if I ask even one dumb question, uh-huh. out. You know, right. You're out. That's a real I'm thing. So it yeah. is. And I, I mean, mm-hmm. if you. Of course, I'd heard that term, but <laughs> I did not know that I, that was, I mean, and that was so my blind spot, you yeah. know, and it's. Well, and I think it also has to do with the people that are around you. Like they have to have the humility too, yeah. to not feel threatened yeah. right. by others and invest in them, right. you know, and I think that. And I think about 10, 15 years ago, I, this just wasn't as common. No, it was honestly, not. I agree. Know? I agree. You know, not to go down these metaphors. I just thought of this. It's like finding the right gym. I don't want to go to Gold's Gym with a bunch of meathead swallowed up to here, you know. But, <laughs> because it's not yeah, your tribe. And it's right. like with, you know, finding the right mentor. You'll find it. Just keep on going to different ones until you do, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and they say, what is that saying? Um, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Ah. Ah, okay. And I, like I mean, that, that I, I've who's laughed. They? Who said that? I That's don't pretty know good. because it's so good. I've yeah. had it repeated to me <laughs> because people have said kind right. of, you know, uh-huh. and I'm like, huh. I would have been helpful to learn that 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So what is some of your favorite work? Like we started going yes. down that path, yes. but like, what are some of your favorite projects? Well, uh, the one that I, you know, thought about as we were 
talking about this time today was actually the one that I worked on with your team, uh, with, oh, with Eric. Yes. Um, and that was a really fun project. It was a small, uh, small professional services firm. And, you know, I can't get into the details of the business and all that. However, I can say that, you know, they had this hidden gem of a service that sort of organically they figured out, wow, we really have something here. Yeah. And we just, we need to find a way to scale it. And, you know, the CEO certainly knows the business very well. Um, but, you know, knowing how to scale or grow is, is a different thing, right? Yes. So we had the chance to work with, with their team to really, you know, explore and kind of hone in on that product market fit and then take turn the corner to really operationalizing it. So, mm. you know, developing that just full go-to-market strategy and plan, everything from pricing, you know, that works both internally from a margin perspective as well as for their customers. Yes. And then just, to, you know, developing that initial kit of tools that they needed to be able to approach global companies. So it was really neat to see them uh, through that process start to think through a lot of these questions and, uh, you know, just feel increased confidence that they could go to these uh, just new global companies and feel like they could go to bat with, with the big guys, you know? And when you know what to say yeah, mm-hmm. and when you have things you can point to, it is a game changer. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, when that system's in place where you don't let your fear and your emotion right. get in the way of going after the kind of business that you know right. you can be impactful in. Oh, right. So exciting. Yeah. One of the things Eric said in the process that I thought was really spot on was that, you know, updating some of your messaging, your content, your website, and all of that, that really just, you know, legitimizes your message, right? Yeah. So it kind of lets you get the ticket to enter the door to have yes. the conversation. And then in my experience, once you get there and you know how to you know, ask the right questions and just start that relationship in the right way. You know, your expertise and all of the benefit that you can bring, that shines. Yes. You know, your team knows all that stuff. And yes. as a leader, you know it. But, you know, getting from that point of not understanding or not having that confidence to feeling like you can sit at that table and prepared, it's, yeah. it, it seems like it's not uh, transformational necessarily. It is. seems like a small thing, but really it's a big thing. Um, well, yeah. because then you can train that mm-hmm. you can teach that you can share that. Mm-hmm. So people, new people come in and you get them up to speed very quickly. You're not right. just reinventing the wheel or right. praying. And I see this so frequently. <laughs> uh-huh. I pray this is a good salesperson. Hmm. Well, why don't you set them up for success on the front end, you know, versus expecting they're going to come in and wave a magic wand (laughs) over your business development system and transform and scale your growth. Mm -hmm. They might be amazing, but they're only going to be amazing with the number of hours they have in a day. Right. But if you give them tools, totally different. Right. And a lot of great salespeople are not going to want to join and build everything totally from scratch. 100%. <laughs> so true because they can make more money if they mm-hmm. get to And they run. want to be successful and they yes. want to be able to get that commission. Not really to put words point. in your mouth, but what a uh, gratifying position you're in. A lot of times it seems like you're finding a smaller business who has great products or just like a special type of thing to, to bring to market and they just Sometimes, and we see this also, that's why I'm kind of putting words in her mouth, <laughs> but um, where they just don't know exactly how to enter the right price points or make or getting their message across just the right way. And they're like, oh my gosh, what do I do? I know this will work. They're sitting at home going, oh, th- I, this is going to make me. Uh-huh. And they're like, but now what? 
Right. And you bring the now what to them and say, this is now what? And, yeah. and, and to watch them take that, their baby, and go, all right, put this baby out there yeah. to the public and make it happen for me. It's very, it goes back to the word that she said earlier, the dream, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, I mean, like changing it from a dream yeah. to reality and, mm-hmm. you know, giving people the confidence to put the things in place where they know it's yeah. progress, like so right. awesome. Right. Yeah. And a lot of times what, what I see is that <clears throat> some business leaders, they, they might be a true expert in whatever that right. lane of their business is. And they already have a lot of times the understanding of their customer or their potential customer, but it's really just helping kind of change the lens of how to, you know, have that initial engagement conversation and kind of have the mindset shift of how to empathize and kind of connect the dots, you know, how I can, how we can really partner together. So it becomes not a sales conversation. Yeah. It becomes a partnership conversation. Amen. You know? Yes. You know, it's interesting. One of the other things that, um, you kind of touched on is you're talking about when somebody has something that brings profound value or they're Mm -hmm. amazing Mm -hmm. at what they do. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is just because you're amazing doesn't mean you're going to be successful. Right. Right. And I've seen that so often, you know, that frustration of why are people not beating down my door? Mm -hmm. We can reduce risk or make them tons of money or impact their profit or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Do all of these amazing things in Uh entrepreneurs, especially get so confused as to why, you know, they built it, but they didn't come, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like that, that, um, like the movie says, right. And, you know, right. I think that's so key. What you're talking about is that, I mean, you've still got to build the processes that allow you a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just that you're great, right? I mean, there's got to be all of the different connecting points that, that help you help people understand that. Right. Right. And I, I think I've also seen just some of my cohort Kellogg's from the MBA program is that you also a lot of times see, especially in technology, you know, oh, we can do this now, yes. <laughs> you know, we have the capability to do this, so let's do it, you know, and sometimes that works out, but a lot of times what can happen is that uh, just because you have the capability to do something doesn't mean it's something that your customer really wants or needs, you yeah. know, so then so it, what? to me, it goes back all the way back to the basis of marketing, which is what are the true kind of needs, frustrations, pain points and goals of your customer. And if you can develop this really nuanced, rich understanding of what that is, then just a whole world of opportunities is unlocked. Yeah, we see it on our digital side. It's like, okay, you can collect all this data, but Mm. now what are you going to do with it? Right. You know, we have all this data. Uh And they're like, oh, wow, you can make it look great in a presentation. But where do you go? What do you do with it now? Mm-hmm. How do you? And, and that's what people are having a tough time with. Buying mm-hmm. is emotional. It does mm-hmm. not matter that's what right. kind of transaction you are talking about. Mm-hmm. Nonprofit, where it's a donation right. or fundraising, right. you know, the receipt of that. Mm-hmm. Business to business, where it's not really your money, mm-hmm. you know, but it is your your reputation right. on the line, yeah. whether or not Your's it success. worked. Pack a gum. Like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. I mean, like, but transactions are emotional. I mean, for mm-hmm. some reason, we knit into ourselves, you mm-hmm. know, who we are right. based on what we decide to pay for. Right. Period. And, yes. you know, and for people to just uh-huh. c- 
come on, people, get it. Like, please, please hear me. The sales is about There's emotion. There's a lot of brain science in support of what you're saying. Oh, yeah. Before yes. um, I, I, you were out of the room, before um, we turned the mics on, I, I was telling Nicole about, you know, the consumer base and that impulse buying. Oh, my now, God. Now, I really like that because We've it's a lot of a whole psychology. Show on this because it's fascinating. Yeah. 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 Not this to is, get too far this down the This is your, hole, I know, that's definitely your It was hot fun spot. to see how different things would amazing. work on not just positioning, but eye levels and tiny details. Yeah. You're like, uh-huh. okay, they'll stand at a counter yes. right here, all estimated 20 seconds, and where are they going to look and this, that, and the other. And you're like, mm. oh, my gosh, it works. <laughs> like, it's creepy how you can read someone's mind and not even know. Them, but depending on what demographic you're mm, in. It, to your point, though, it's mm. interesting because I think sometimes those teeny shifts are not just about impulse buying, but they can apply to the B2B or the nonprofit world. Mm-hmm. You know, like one, it's not really a case study, but, uh, you know, one story about the, and this is business to consumer, about the store mm-hmm. that changed, you know, hi, can I help you uh-huh. to have you ever been here before is transformational Uh, to how those sales reps, but the Mm -hmm. same thing happens when you choreograph a sales conversation, Mm. you know, how you open the conversation, Mm -hmm. small little details about where do you sit at a boardroom table Uh with the prospect? Uh Okay. Just hack to the audience, never line up you versus them. Never, never, Uh never. Oppositional. Yes, exactly. Uh You know, in tiny details. That's not why we do this. (laughs) <laughs> no, <laughs> no yeah. this is about camera angles. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is where the tech nerd gets to <laughs> gets to control the situation. <laughs> but you know, I mean, like yeah. so much because it mm-hmm. is about emotion. But those tiny switches that mm-hmm. help people understand you faster, like you faster, mm-hmm. get it faster. Mm-hmm. Innovation is not always right. Never I didn't thought see of this if- before, but just. Uh-huh. Better service. I don't. I didn't look uh-huh. to see if you pulled up an electric car or not. No, but <laughs> I would love if, one. If you get gas, yes, we would yeah, too. If not you ever yet. go to Quick Trip and get gasoline, <laughs> you notice on the way out when they give you the money, they don't say thanks for coming. They say we'll see you next time. Ah, uh, uh huh. Every that's time. That's what they say, right? It is it's, every it, time. Yeah, every time you're like, oh. As many people that go through there, because mm. it's, I mean, the busiest gas station there is probably. Mm. Here, you feel sure. like a, a personal connection uh-huh. of. You know, whether it be that or not, but it, it does something different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. So for you looking around in 2021, you know, we are still, you know, at the end of the pandemic or hopefully we're at the end. However, we want to say that, whatever, uh-huh. you getting know, better. Pivot. it's getting better. <laughs> I know. We're dealing with it. Exactly. Yeah. We are all getting better at dealing with it. I actually love that point of view. Well, people getting vaccinated. Yeah, know, exactly. Uh-huh. Okay. So what kind of encouragement or advice, like when you look around at the world, what do you think? I wish people would know this or, you know, think this way. I mean, what kind of advice or encouragement would you give to people on the street or business people, anything really mm-hmm. super open-ended? Well, I have a lot of tactical advice I could give, but, you know, I I knew you were going to ask this, so I did a little pre-thinking about it. And I I think what I wish was more kind of widespread was, you know, the ability of our senior leaders to approach their work as a steward of the culture of the team. You know, I Mm. think... As a senior leader, one of the things I've noticed is that you don't get a lot of questions. You don't get a lot of people challenging you. Yes. And uh, 
for, for whatever reason, maybe you haven't kind of signaled that you're open to that or people aren't used to doing that. Um, but I think what that means is that you have to be more intentional about how you build your team. And so, you know, we all heard this news this week about, you know, the spa and there's just continuing focus and just awareness on racial inequity and others, other, you know, manifestations of that. Right. And, you know, as I think about that, there have been really a lot of moves in corporate America, especially also in the nonprofit sector around diversity. But to me, that's not enough. So I guess I would challenge senior leaders. Yes, you need to be focused on doing what you can as you, you know, kind of bring your team together, but that's really not enough. You know, we, as senior leaders, we need to be creating spaces that allow people to really share their perspectives with confidence. Oh, you know what I mean? Because it doesn't matter if you have, you know, 20 different kinds of people at the table with all of the depth of knowledge that they can contribute to better solutions for the marketplace. If they don't feel like they can really truly speak up without being shot down or that their perspective isn't going to be valued, then in some sense it's all for naught, right? Because you're not kind of, you know, stewarding that environment in a way that actually brings forth the full potential that's there. So I think that is a message that a lot of senior leaders don't get challenged on enough is that you are really responsible um, for setting the, the, the cadence and the culture of the organization and the way that you set forth those silent expectations um, really can have a humongous impact on, yes, the power of those humans and those seats and their ability to realize their potential, but also your organization and its potential to reach uh, where you want it to go. Too. I love this idea. It's really... Yeah leaders helping people to find their voice, mm-hmm. but not someday, not conceptually, but mm-hmm. literally every day opening their mouth and being a valued participant because the leader created that space. That's yes. amazing. Yeah. And I think as the leader, you have the responsibility to sort of go first and model and set that. And if you don't, Ooh, then I love this. the, you know, you get what it's you get. It's about you know, right. making your employees feel that sense of accomplishment. And you and you guys kind of touched base a little bit on how you don't want to make it, have an employee cringe up or feel like, oh, if I do something wrong, it's ne- everything's negative. Mm. You want it to be positive, right? You yeah. know, um, to all you senior leaders out there, leave your egos at home. Then, basically, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you gotta just say no. I can't bring this power I have within myself to the table all day at work or it's not you know it's not gonna be good for my team Mm -hmm. or see yourself as stewarding the power towards cultivating this environment you know know? because there is power for sure but yes Mm -hmm. i've worked for two corporate companies that were pretty big and you would notice whenever someone new would be in upper management and get hired you they Mm -hmm. would pick one or two people and i don't think they knew at the time the people they picked and the ones that resonated right off the bat had this energy about them and asked the question and wanted a real answer to Mm. versus the ones who walked in and said well now my time is to be a leader Mm. and they went into it demanding Mm. That was their form yeah. of leadership. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now it may have worked in the position they were before. It got them that new role, mm-hmm. but on for the long run, it was just so pleasant being around those people that were just 
ask for honest input and you give an honest answer right. to. Right. We onboarded a new client just the other day mm. and we all got off the call and every single one of us on our team was oh, like, yeah. wow, we huh. love these guys. <laughs> no, the it CEO, wasn't just one person. No. Uh, you could tell every group, mm. person in their group had it that same so cool. energy and mm. you knew you knew it came from the up. Yeah. We, yeah, we can't say his name, but no, but it did come from the CEO. Yeah, right. CEO. But it just mm-hmm. trickled down. It was to incredible. Where everyone felt like, oh, this is our next goal. We are going to accomplish. Mm. Not that our company needs to. Well, they do inevitably, but we are all going to have have a huge role and part uh-huh. in this. It was where cool. do we fit in, and let's go do it. It was mm. really neat. It was the you perfect know. balance of. Yeah. Everybody having a voice uh-huh. without sacrificing yeah. the need to have financial performance right. and accelerated revenue growth. Right. right. And they were all so excited because of like, it was, you know, it really was a scenario of what you're talking about. And man, just to be around that energy was uh-huh. amazing. I was yeah. like, okay, this is going to be exciting because while well, yes, we're going to bring value to them. We're going to benefit from everything right. we learn and watch them do naturally Cult- culturally, too. Yeah. Culturally, yeah, uh-huh. so exciting. Yeah, so I love that Nicole. Like such a fi- great, amazing, and yeah. optimistic, but practical. Like final note, we can mm-hmm. and all should be doing that. That's mm-hmm. great. I know. Yeah, it's not easy work, but I think it's worth it. It's the right yeah. work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. Is that your vision then? Pretty much. Like <laughs> that's. Your end game is people. Kind of your why. Yeah, mm-hmm. your why. Mm-hmm. I know. Neat. I yeah, know. it's hard to articulate, but yeah, it's all based in that dignity and worth and strength of people. Oh, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no way we can keep going after that no. because that is the perfect way to wrap it. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so yeah. much for bringing so much heart to mm-hmm. the business world and to this conversation. So it's just been amazing having yeah, this Thanks with for you. the opportunity. It's Absolutely. been great. Hey, where can people you find you? Yes. Thank you so yeah. much. Yes. Um, so our website is socialcatalytics.com or you can find me on LinkedIn if you just Google or put in LinkedIn, Nicole Rush. Nicole with an H. Yes, that's right. Yes, exactly. So <laughs> definitely, obviously follow where the I don't have to plug you anymore than just, <laughs> you know, the heart that you've already shown. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. All right. That's onward great. and ever, upward. Onward and upward, everybody. My goodness. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, y'all. All right. Thanks. If you enjoyed this episode of the Corporate Caffeine Podcast, please help us help you by subscribing. I also hope you'll find us on social media. You can follow me, Dacia Coffee, and my company, The Marketing Blender, by searching us on your favorite platform or checking out the show notes for the links. We bring this to you because we envision a business world full of meaning, connection, and prosperity for us all. Until next time, onward and upward.